0: Texas always seems to do things bigger than anybody else. This past Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, we know it begins a calendar that leads us to Easter, leads us through Calvary to Easter to Good Friday, begins with Ash Wednesday, and historically, much of the church has given up something, and I know many people have said, well, I have decided not to ride in a helicopter for a year. That's what I've given up. But Texas does things bigger than anybody else. This past Wednesday, Texas gave up heat. We gave up water. We gave up groceries. Man, we did a big thing this past Ash Wednesday. Not voluntarily, it was what happens to us in the situation which we find ourselves today. And I want to tell you, that this church would've opened all of its doors to anybody and everybody if we could have, but there's no heat in here now, there is very little water in here now, so we couldn't help anybody, and it seems that we have leaks everywhere in all of our campuses. So I want you to know as a body of faith, we have reached out through correspondence, telephone any way we can, visited homes whenever we could to try to help those, who could not help themselves at this time of emergency. So thank you for being a part of the worship experience today. Nobody's here in church except the Lord Jesus Christ and his truth and let's begin by just praying together as we worship together by the hundreds by the thousands on this special day, this moment of crisis In which you and I now find ourselves. Let's pray together. Father, how we need always but especially now in America and in the world, a clear word from you. Use this time of worship as we open our Bibles together and we look to you as we've never looked to you before saying, Lord, give us guidance, give us meaning, give us wisdom that's beyond our normal kind of speculations. You speak, O Lord, let me get out of the way, it is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Philosophy. What is philosophy? Philosophy is a study of reality. It's a study of the fundamental nature of reality. Well, what does that have to do with us? I want you to know, as most of us realize, we all base our lives on some kind of belief system. There's a philosophy that we adhere to, and that is how we try to, or most of the time, make decisions and choices in life. So we today are surrounded with a world of many kind of theories, many kind of ideas, but the true philosopher is always looking for truth. They're trying to determine what is valid, what is invalid, what is real and what is not real, what is permanent and what is passing away. So it is important that all of us step back a moment and think, am I living my life? on the basis of absolute truth? Or am I living my life on the basis of human wisdom, human philosophy? Now the difference between human philosophy and divine philosophy, God's philosophy, is radical. Human philosophy is based on speculation. Philosophers look at the material world and they speculate, what's it all about, where it came from? Is there some force out there, some God, some unmoved mover, some holy other that is dictating all of creation? Where did creation come from? Some philosophers look at the material world and they say, you know, I need to find meaning here. Others spend time in the ethereal world, in the debating world. In philosophy, you have hermeneutics. In philosophy, you have epistemology. That's a big word. It means how do you know that you know? If I think this is the way I'm gonna live my life, this is truth, how do I know that this really is truth? So there's all kinds of debates, all kinds of schools of philosophy, but basically, it's a study of reality. The question is asked, what is truth? and how we need in a world of so much subjectivism, in a world and a culture which you and I base what we believe to be true on the basis of feelings, of our ability to rationally think and come to decisions. Hey, so we go back all the way and see what is the answer for our culture today. And we're studying the book of 1 Corinthians how relevant it is because Corinth, that ancient city, is much like the cities of the world and America today especially. How do you deal with the mess that you find in the world and all of these problems, so contemporary, so modern, listed out there, where would you begin? (laughs) You can hardly talk to anybody today and you can ask them, well, you know, what's gonna happen politically? You know, what's gonna happen in all the situations which we find ourselves? What are we to do? Let me tell you what's happened to us. Very plain and very simple. Because of the upheaval we have in government today in the political world, because of the pandemic that we have dealt with and are dealing with now, because of the lack of genuine communication and objectivity we find with those who report what is going on and try to analyze what is going on there is a state of total confusion we can say very simply america our culture is in a mess what does a team do when the home team gets behind and they're getting Further and further behind, what does the coach do? He says, "Time out," and he brings the team over, and what does he say to them? You and I, if you've played any sports, know exactly what he says normally. He says, folks, you've gotten away from all the principles that you were taught. You've gotten away from the plan that we drew up for this game. And he goes back over with that team in that big timeout, he says, get back to the foundation upon which this team was formed get back to the fundamentals defense football blocking tackling basketball play them to their strong hand make sure you position yourself a rebound every sport has their own basic fundamentals by which they operate and therefore That's exactly what's happened to us. Have you noticed we've been in a long time out here, almost for a year? Businesses aren't functioning as as they normally do. Uh, Everything about life, schools, go go anywhere you want to look. Churches, go everywhere. Everything seems out of kilter. Everything is in doubt. Everything is open for speculation. What's going to happen? What does the future hold? But we have a big time out in this time out when parents spend more time with their children than they have in years dad is home mother is home the children are there when in this time out when all of a sudden what happens some family are beginning to disintegrate they're getting to know each other they're spending time together and some families are beginning to come together to communicate to listen to love and to spend real quality minutes and hours together. And therefore, God in this time out, from everything we normally pursue, all the sports activities, the travel, the movement that we have in the 21st century, in this time out, God is using it in marvelous ways. In some homes, in some businesses, in some relationships, in others, It is just destroying almost everything. What is the difference? The difference is simply and basically this. It determines how you and I are living our lives on a worldly philosophy, or we're living our lives on the basis of God's philosophy, God's revealed wisdom to us. Modern philosophy says, Man, we figure out things how to live on the basis of speculation. God's philosophy says we run our life on the basis of revelation. Not speculation, but revelation. And so we go to the book of 1 Corinthians. We've already covered, now we'll finish the first chapter and a little bit of the second chapter, but where have we been? Paul is saying, look, You've got all these problems, and you can just list them. They're listed through the end of the book of Corinthians. Bang, bang, bang. The problems we have today, you name them, they're almost spelled out here for us. Everything from sex trafficking to the destruction of the family, it's right here. And Paul gives answers to those problems, God's answers. Not what we figure out, how we think, what we want, our feelings, our understanding not human philosophy, but God's philosophy. Where does Paul begin? Let me give you a fast as zigzag lightning study and coverage of what Paul. Paul said, begin right here. In other words, he didn't go to, well, what do you do when you're single and this and that? No, no, he didn't go there. He, He started way back in the fundamentals. You see, he said, you there in Corinth in the Corinthian church, and the church was becoming more like Corinth with its paganism, then Corinth was picking up the truth of God that you find in the church. Remember that the church, the body of Christ, is the reservoir. The church is what preserves God's wisdom, God's philosophy, and God's truth, but now the world had seeped into the church more than the church was seeping into the world, and now everything was messed up. What does Paul say? Go back to chapter one of 1 Corinthians. He begins by saying, this is who I am, Paul an apostle. And then he goes, and instead of getting to the problems, now follow me carefully. We try to say, boy, I'd like an answer here to the problem we have in our courts. Oh, let's go and deal, no, no, no. Paul says, go back to the fundamentals. Go back to the basics. Before you get to the individual problem, so many of us try to solve all these things, I'm gonna work it out, I'm gonna figure it out, I'm gonna get counsel, I'm gonna, start with the basics. You have to have that foundation there before you can deal with the individual, unique, tough situations in which we find ourselves individually and in the culture in which we live. So Paul goes back very quickly He says, first of all, I wanna encourage you. He starts with encouraging these who've gotten a long way from God. He said, I wanna encourage you, and begin here with with verse number four, and he goes all the way through 1 Corinthians, all the way through verse number six. And what does he say? Let me summarize it. He says, first of all, I want you to know that you are sanctified. He didn't start with salvation. He said, you know Christ. He said, secondly, I want you to know, look at all the gifts you have. Look what I've given to you individually and collectively as a church. And then he says, I want you to know you're heading in the right direction. You know that Jesus Christ is going to come and you're headed in the right direction. And the fourth thing he says, you have fellowship." with Jesus Christ. And then he goes and says, you are in Christ. Read the letters of Paul and the theme in every one of them is you're in Christ, you're in Christ, Christ is in you and you're in Christ. And then he says, look, these are the basics. He says, congratulations, you understand you've been through the basics. But then he goes on and talks about, but there's divisions. The Does that sound familiar to anybody? Look at verse number 10 following. He says, some of you are following Apollos, some are following Peter, some are following me. He said, there's divisions. He says, in other words, there shouldn't be divisions. Why? Because you're in Christ. Christ is not divided. You live on the basic of God's wisdom and God's principles. You can't be divided, you're united. And then the question is asked, not in the scripture directly, but it's asked, saying, well, what's the answer for division? Boy, how we hear that today. America is so divided about so many lines. Yes, we are. What's the answer for it? The same answer is found here in Corinthians that we need to hear today. And simply the answer is this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 18. For the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Then he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. He's saying worldly philosophy doesn't give you ultimate answers because it's speculation. It is not revelation of the truth from God. And he goes and said, the cross brings us all together. I've said it hundreds and thousands of times, at the foot of the cross, there's not the rich and the poor, there's not someone of this race and that race and that nationality and this nationality, not someone who's educated, someone who's illiterate. Oh no, at the cross, it is very, very level. And when we look at that in this day, a review, we need to go over and over this to understand something of the Beauty and the majesty of the cross of Jesus Christ. What is it? First of all, the cross gets us vertically right with God. Vertically right with God. Now, what did the Greeks, the Gentiles, say about the cross? When they heard that God who became human flesh, God was crucified, executed on the cross, they couldn't believe it. They said, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard of. That is total nonsense, total foolishness. That's what the Greeks thought. What did you say? You mean our Messiah (laughs) died on the cross? The incarnation of God? Man, that's not only crazy, that is a sign of weakness. But Paul comes and says about the cross, he said, oh no, 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 I want you to see. (laughs) The cross is not foolishness, it's the wisdom the philosophy of God. The cross is not weakness as the Jews thought because all of their religion is based on the supernatural, what happened here, there, and yonder. No, 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 the cross is the power of God. Now, what does this mean? The vertical part of the cross, do not forget this, gets us right with God in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for you and me on that cross. Therefore, vertically, we are right with him. We have peace with God, a relationship with God. Man, that is not foolishness. That's the wisdom of God. And notice the wisdom of God is different from what we would have figured out, what we understand, how we will rationalize our way through it. Oh, no, it's the wisdom of God. And what about it being weak? No, it's power, cause it's power and that I think is represented by the horizontal arm of the cross. It says now we can be right with ourselves and we can be right with other people. And the power comes, we'll discover, as we move through Corinthians, through the resurrection power that God invested as he brought Jesus back from the dead and gave him new life. So we see, we look at the cross, it is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. Also, it's the love of God. And I think that's part of the, the undercovering of the cross. We look and say, oh, yes, I see it gets me right with God. My, my, my. That's a wisdom I'd never thought of. And my, 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 I see the, the power. Now I have the ability because we're in our Christ, get my life straightened out and my relationship with others straightened out. That is the power of God. But also, it's the love of God. And that's the provocative thing I think anyone in the Corinthian world, anyone today would have to look at is that, you mean God loves me this much that he became flesh and died that horrendous death for me? That's God's love right in time and in history. So we see at the cross, it brings us all together, all together, and then Paul develops. With beautiful clarity. The next thing, he says, I love this verse. By the way, in verse chapter 1 of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, verse 21, he said, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not get to know him as God, its wisdom did not know him. In other words, through philosophy, Human philosophy did not do God, but through God's wisdom and God's philosophy, he made himself known to us. And then we go down to verse number 26. Paul says, brothers and sisters, by the way, brothers and sisters is mentioned 22 times in 1 Corinthians. In other words, Paul said in another passage here, we'll study, Paul said, you know, I could, could come to you with judgment saying, boy, this is how you live. You're messed up, you're getting drunk there in the church. You're messed up here, you're guilty of incest. All this we'll look at. But he said, I didn't come like that. He said, I came as your brother and your brothers and your sister. Paul said, I came to you in that broken culture, in that confused church as family. 22 times, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters how he appealed to the brokenness there in that culture. And look what he says. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called, before you became a Christian. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many of noble birth. He said, in other words, he said, when you came to Christ and we started this church there in Corinth, man, you didn't have a lot of the worldly stuff. <laughs> That's not who you are Prime. Some were, some of noble birth, some were influential, some were highly educated, but not most of you. And he says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world, the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. why did he do this? so that no one could boast. (laughs) It is because that you are in Christ Jesus. And then he tells us exactly what the wisdom of God is. Look at it. This is verse 30. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. And therefore, we have nothing to boast about. When you and I became men and women in Christ, we received them into our life and said, Lord, I accept you as my savior. I want you to run my life. What do we receive then? He said, this is God's wisdom. What is God's wisdom? What is this philosophy God has given to us? And he starts off, he said, it is righteousness, imputed. He pours righteousness in us. By the way, righteousness is too big a word. Maybe you ought to call just righteous. That's still too big. Let's just call it right. <laughs> God makes you and me right with him, right with ourselves, and right with others. And that's imputed. He pours that into you and me. We are right. Right by what standard, by the way? You say, I'm right, but right in whose eyes? It's the standard of Jesus. Well, man, I could never reach that standard. No, we can't. That's the reason it was given to us. That is charis, that is the grace that is involved there. That is the standard is Jesus, because we know Jesus stood for truth. Man, I read this morning, early this morning, in the Gospel of John, how Jesus was being tried, and he went before the Sanhedrin. He said, what are you charging me with? He said, what did I say? How did I speak that was not true? In other words, he was saying, Did I speak the truth? They never challenged him on the basis of what not what he said was true. (laughs) They didn't challenge. And then he went before Pilate, and Pilate says, well, you know, who are you? And they go through a little dialogue there. And then Pilate looks at him and says, and Jesus talks about truth. He lived the life of truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? And Pilate walked out. (laughs) He, He didn't wait for Jesus to answer. Pilate was looking at truth personified in human flesh, and he walked away from it. So we are right with God, and that's the first part of the wisdom of God. We receive Christ, we're in Christ, we are right with God, and the standard is Jesus Christ, because God unbelievably looks at you and me, and you know what he sees? Jesus. (laughs) I know, that's a tremendous gift. So we are right, then he says, a part of the wisdom, you become holy. In some translation, it talks about you are sanctified. And when we become holy, it means in the eyes of God, we are set aside for his purpose. And that is the growth that we take place. We grow in our knowledge of God and Christ, and this gets increasingly exciting. Because remember, we have a personal relationship with God. You know, who do you know? I know God. You know God? Yes, I know Jesus Christ. Yes, He talks with me. He walks with me. He speaks to me. He directs me. See, that's that personal relationship that we always have to count on and know that it's there and spend time in. Sometimes this time out, a lot of things are shut down this time out. Therefore, we are growing in our faith, growing in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are right and we're holy. We're in the process of sanctification. And then finally, he says, we're justified. We are justified. We are redeemed is the word used here. What does it mean to redeem something? When I was a boy, uh, we didn't have a lot of money in our little South Mississippi home, and my mom would find things on sale, and in that day, you could take those things and you could put them in layaway. And she would take those things, and we couldn't take them out. They were not ours, they still belonged to the store. But she'd make payments every month, bang, 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 bang. And she had paid for that stuff that we needed, and then it would become ours. This is what happens. This is redemption that takes place, and that is in the future when we graduate from this earth, go to heaven and be with God. That is the redemption part. So we have, first of all, we have, we're right, And that happens, bang, when we receive Christ. And then we go through and say we're holy, we're being sanctified, we're growing in our knowledge of faith in God in Christ, and ultimately, we will be redeemed, we'll be claimed totally by God in the next dimension of heaven. This is the wisdom, the philosophy of God. Now remember where we are. We got all the world is messed up, life is messed up, people are confused, just like in ancient Corinth, but they take this time out and Paul says, go back to the basics, get those basics. Before you deal with lying, adultery, before you deal with all these other problems in the courts, you gotta go back and get things right here and right there, and that's what the cross does. That's exactly what Paul is teaching here. And now he moves on into the second chapter, and we'll look at only rapidly five verses. And Paul said, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, there's that word, family, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as proclaimed to you, the testimony about God. In other words, he gives God's philosophy, God's testimony, He said, I didn't couch it in big words, but I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, we're gonna deal with the resurrection. Corinthians 15, no question about it. But now because of the sinful nature there in Corinth, he said, you've got to have your sins taken place and understand what the cross is all about to get all of you together and all your division. So I just preach to you Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling, my message and my preaching were not with the wise and persuasive words, with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that by your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. What's he saying? He said, here is my message. Jesus Christ crucified. And by the way, it wasn't a long, elaborate sermon with all kinds of hyperbole, all kinds of, $50 words, he wasn't trying to convince them by logic, by all the rhetorical skills that he had at his disposal. He said, I came not with oration, but I came with a placard. I came with a simple message, Jesus Christ crucified. You see, in that day, they'd have all the communication means that we have. So they wanted to get a message out, they would take somebody, he would walk through the streets with a placard, it would say, meet at the city hall at three o'clock, nothing else. No reason to meet, just meet at the city hall at three o'clock, and they'd walk around that placard. Paul is Paul saying here, I didn't come to you with all the big words, all the philosophy that he certainly knew. He said, I came with a simple, basic message that you need. Get right with God and right with yourself and right with others. And he said, I came with very plain words and I used illogical means, not human means, so nobody could boast. Nobody could say, boy, I came to this. Nobody could boast about it. That's interesting, isn't it? He says, I used nobodies, not somebody's. God usually uses nobodies. More than he does somebody, he uses some somebodies, we read, but very few, most of them are nobodies. Why is that? You know, the somebodies, those who have, we've already looked at it, the pedigree, the education, the natural gifts, all the connections, all the influence, they're too busy. Uh, you know, they don't feel a need for Christ. They don't feel anything about uh, they don't have time for Christ, uh, and, and somehow they don't have interest in Christ. The things They're so involved being somebodies, so God picks up nobodies and uses them magnificently, magnificently, so nobody can boast. It's what God has done. <laughs> the story of Gideon in the Bible. Man, he was overwhelmed in battle with thousand more people ready to go against God's people, and Gideon had 32,000. He said, man, I've got 32,000. It's not enough, and God said, you've got too many, until finally Gideon had only 300. He won a tremendous battle against thousands of the enemy with 300. So what could Gideon say? Boy, look what we did. No, it's what God did. Little is much when God is in it, when God is in it. Dr. George Washington Carver, I read his biography and his autobiography when I was young, I'll never forget it. George Washington Carver was African American scientist early back in the beginning of the last century. And George Washington Carver was a devout man, a pious man, a brilliant man, a gifted man. He said one day, He said, I was talking to the Lord and I said, Lord, give me the secrets of the universe. And he said, God said back to him, George, that's too big for you. Why don't you take something your size, something like a a peanut. He said, study that peanut, pray over that peanut and I will give you the ability to understand that peanut. That's something about your size. And that's what Dr. Carver did, and he found 322 ways to use the peanut in so many areas of life. If you ever go to Opelika, Alabama, a little bitty town, not far from Tuscaloosa, in Opelika in the town square, I went there years ago, they have a monument to the boll weevil. You know what a boll weevil is? A boll weevil is what got in the cotton crops and destroyed them. And in those days when the boll weevil got in the crops, people went hungry. Man, whole areas were blighted with the boll weevil. They couldn't stop the boll weevil. But finally they discovered peanuts from Dr. George Washington Carver, and suddenly where there had been poverty and destitution, they began to grow peanuts. And they made more money, they were more prosperous and more blessed with growing peanuts than they were with king cotton. How God can take a little and make much out of it. God now in this crisis is saying to you and to me, use this time out, use this SOS moment and spend time with me. Go back to the basics of your walk with Christ. Get back in the worship business. If you can go to the grocery store, and you can go to the business and do other things, perhaps now is the time for many being able to go back to church. Go back to the basics. Get on your knees. Ask God to give you insight back in the basics, then those things that you and I say, here's a problem here, here's a challenge here, here's something I don't understand. We get back to the basics. We have what? A foundation. And that's the very last verse I want to leave with us. Look at it here. It is verse number five, Corinthians two. It says, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, human philosophy but on god's power and on god's wisdom you see when we rest there the holy spirit gives you and i the ability the ability to make a difference in the broken culture in which we find ourselves before we deal with all of this and we're going to let's get back to the basics Let's build God's philosophy, God's wisdom, and use that foundation on which to revolutionize and change our culture.